Welcome to another edition of the Flathead Beacon Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Drew, recording from the beautiful Flathead Valley. It's Wednesday, February 9th. The intersection of Big Mountain Road and East Lakeshore Drive north of Whitefish has long been a staple in conversations about the city's future. The intersection takes locals and visitors to and from Whitefish Mountain Resort, and during the ski season, the single blinking light often backs up traffic for hours. Discussions over the intersection itself, as well as the surrounding plots of land, have been at the heart of a months-long debate in the community over a large proposed development referred to as the Gateway Mountain Development, which would set the stage for the construction of hundreds of residential units, including affordable housing, as well as some commercial properties. On Monday night, in a 5-to-1 vote, the Whitefish City Council rejected the development. My colleague Mike Cordenbrock has been following the story for months and joins me to give some more details on the ongoing debate. First, however, a quick reminder that this podcast is sponsored in part by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Members support all of our journalism in all of its forms, in print, online, and here in the podcast studio, and they do so for as little as $5 per month. Plus, there's a couple extra perks involved too, so to find out more or join today, visit beaconeditorsclub.com. Mike, thanks for joining the pod today. Thanks for having me, Micah. It's great to be back. So you've been following this proposed development up in Whitefish for several months now through all phases of discussion. Uh, you first started covering it last year when it was before the the planning board. Uh, can you take us back there and, and give us an overview of what was proposed and kind of how this all started? Yeah, you know, the, the, the planning board... Um, it's their responsibility to make a recommendation mm-hmm. on you know things that fall under their purview. So Air Mountain Gateway, it's the Mountain Gateway development, as I think it's it's a lot of people refer to it. It's a planned unit development. It would it would go at the base of Big Mountain Road. It's a lot. It, 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 there would be a lot of housing included. Okay. Um, the developer, lead developer James Barnett, based on sort of what he's presented to city staff and in the planning board back then, you know, this, this development would have a few different types of housing, um, totaling out to 318 units. Wow. A sizable number. Yeah. Large, large development. in, in that sense, there would be apartments, there would be some deed restricted rentals mm. more recently, you know, there's, there's been the offer from the developer to set aside some acreage for a nonprofit where they could construct some affordable housing. Mm. There's also a mention of some commercial development, also a roundabout. (laughs) Everyone's favorite thing in this Valley. Yeah. Uh, Another, another thing included in this, uh, the developer is is offering to set aside land for a fire station. Well, not to build it, but they would gift the land. So, I, I mean, I know you, you you asked about the planning board. Um, well, well, it sounds like that even with what would obviously be an increased high traffic area, it seems like there could be a lot of good coming with this affordable housing, a, a fire station. You can't be can't go wrong with a, an extra fire station, especially close to that 
uh, Wildland interface. Yeah, I, I mean, the developer, uh, they, they felt like they were offering a lot. Uh, I mean, most recently, uh, at the meeting last night, um, you know, James Barnett had said that, you know, all of these basically inclusions would come out to about, you know, $8.5 million in, wow. in benefits to the city. Um, you know, some of that just has to do with the, the land value. Mm-hmm. So the planning board, when they met and voted, they voted to forward a, a negative recommendation, however they phrase it. Yeah. They were against it. It, it got a little, uh, but but essentially they, they did not support the PUD, mm-hmm. the, the development. It was a three to one vote. Mm-hmm. And the only person who came out of that as, as a supporter on the planning board is Steve Cannell, who's also a Whitefish City Councilor. Mm-hmm. That that determination from the planning board, uh, it actually ran counter to the recommendation of city staff mm. who had put together a, a fairly lengthy report, you know, concluded with their recommendation was to approve this project. Yeah, that was that was back in November. So then we fast forward to now. There was a meeting in, in January and mm-hmm. on, on Monday night you attended the meeting, which was really a continuation of January's meeting mm-hmm. due to the massive amount of public comment can you, mm-hmm. can you take us through a little bit of that what side did, did most of the comments seem to come on yeah so the the very lengthy public comment has been a feature <laughs> of this issue mm-hmm. um going back to when i first started covering it on the planning board i think uh former intern sky lucas also uh she had covered mm-hmm. this a little bit i think she sat through her fair share of public comment uh I have not added it all up. <laughs> I will say that Steve Cannell last night, uh, I think he put forward the estimate of 14 hours it's across multiple meetings. Um, yeah, I, I would say most of it has been in opposition to the development. Um, there's obviously a high degree of organization uh, among some of the uh, opponents of this. There have been attorneys hired, a traffic engineer, um, a nonprofit was formed. Signatures have been gathered. So there is a pretty large, fairly organized uh, group of citizens and, and and other folks that are that are in opposition to this. So I mean I think last night we maybe saw a little bit more uh than we had in the past in terms of people during public comment saying that this needs to be done. And uh you know, uh, I mean, kind of the, I, I didn't mention this earlier. I mean, I, I touched on this, but the, the affordable housing aspect of this is, has come up quite a bit. Um, yeah. Something you know. that we desperately need in, in all parts of the Valley, but especially mm-hmm. up in Whitefish for a lot of the workers. Well, and, and there's also a need for housing and flat out, you mm-hmm. know, there's a need for that. So this has come up among some supporters and obviously developer James Barnett, he supports it. He's, mm-hmm. he's trying to make it happen. Um, you know, he brought up last night that, you know, that there are people that's, that he believes stand to benefit, benefit from this the most. You know, maybe they're not the ones who can come to mm. a council meeting. Um, and sit through 14 hours of comment to <laughs> say their piece. Well, he didn't, he didn't say that, <laughs> but I, I think it was, it was, it was implied. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, at the meeting in January, uh, you know, you know, one commenter sort of took a jab and said, you know, something to the fact that I'm here because I couldn't hire a lawyer to speak for me. So 
you know, and, and some of that came through a little bit last night. I mean, I, people have been pretty civil for the most part. I mean, there, there have definitely been some moments where emotions have run high. Um, you know, I think part of what's drawn this out to some degrees, there, there aren't time limits on comment. Mm. So I have people who they get up to the microphone and they have a lot to say. And, um, you know, some of them have been saying it at, at more than one meeting. So that's definitely been a, an aspect of this that uh, some degree has, has drawn things out. Uh, our colleague Tristan did a little bit of reporting on this as well. And through a public records request, found some emails from several local philanthropists that give a lot of money to, to various charities and, and entities in the Flathead Valley stating that they w- were going to pull some of those donations, not directly tied to this, mm-hmm. but kind of heavily handed saying that if the development went forward, th- th- that people would know why some of this money was drying up. Did, did that seem to play a factor in the decision making? Well, I mean, I, sort of the highest profile figure to, uh, that was included in Tristan's mm-hmm. story would be, would be Mark Jones, who... Many people know he, he owns a lot of land. Mm-hmm. He, he's somebody that had expressed his sort of disapproval of of this of this development. I, I believe he had framed it as you know the location is not something that he supports, and um, so uh, you know it it came up last night. Um, it was. Again, though, I, I think that when most of the people there are in opposition to this, it's not really something they want to. It's not something they're going to bring up mm-hmm. when they're making the case for why you should shoot this down. They're not going to bring up the fact that you know uh, Tristan was able to sort of shine a light on some of what's happening um, outside of these public meetings. Yeah. I mean, it, it came up. Re- Actually, at the very beginning of the meeting, uh, one of the more, yeah, maybe emotional public Mm. comments, which isn't to say there wasn't emotion at other points in the meeting. I mean, this is something people care very deeply about for different reasons. But, uh, yeah, former former city councilor Ryan Hennon actually was among the first people to talk. And uh, this is during the public comment portion that was not related to the development. Mm. But he he used that time to, um, you know, express his disapproval for uh, Mark Jones and some of his statements. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, that was how things started off. Um, and so things ended then with a, a five to one vote denying the development. So where do we go from here? Is the developer planning on reframing his proposal? What's next? Yeah, so so we get through this is this is a continuation of a meeting <laughs> in January because of the lengthy public comment. And then last night we got another about three hours of public mm. comment. So um that finally ended. It took a brief break. Uh, <laughs> it was like seven minutes. I'm not sure why, but uh so they broke for a few minutes and came back. Yeah, Steve Steve Cornell put forward a motion to approve mm. could not get a second. So the motion died. They, they didn't get to vote on that. Counselor uh, Giuseppe Caltabiano brought forward a, a motion to uh, against this. Uh, that was seconded by 
counselor, Rebecca Norton, there was some discussion and sort of back to that 14 hour remark that Quinnell I referenced earlier mm-hmm. it, at one point, it, it seemed like maybe a vote was come was imminent and, and he sort of interjects and says, I've sat through 14 hours of comment and we're going to decide this in 10 minutes. I want to say some things. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a five to one vote against. And, um, you know, this, it, it had been included in, in Tristan's reporting, but because of some of the opposition, the, the, the amount of signatures they had collected from some adjacent landowners mm-hmm. it actually sort of triggered a procedure where they would have needed, it would have needed a supermajority to pass. Okay. So it would have needed more than one counselor. Um, but yeah, Connell is the only one willing to vote for it. And, uh, you know, he, he, he had some strong statements by the time he started talking, it, it seemed pretty clearly that this wasn't going to get support. You know, I, I think that he had phrased it, that this was sending a message that whitefish, uh, isn't, uh, to paraphrase, but isn't, isn't welcome to working class people. Mm. Um, you got some other statements from other counselors. I mean, I, I don't know to some degree or another, all of them acknowledge that there are benefit, there were benefits to this project, but there were just, there are various aspects of it that, that troubled them. I mean, uh, most of the opponents have uh, mentioned their belief that this will create even worse traffic problems. And obviously that can affect your quality of life, but you know, they've sort of taken it a step. Some people have taken it a step further and said, well, you know, more traffic problems means more difficulty getting, getting to maybe a hospital in an emergency situation. The one that's come up quite a bit is should there be a fire that requires evacuation? People seem Hmm. very concerned about the idea that, this development could cause more traffic, which could make that a more dangerous situation. Um, so, um, you know, all that being said, where do we go from here? I was say so the developer still has the property, and have, something has to yeah, be done. Yeah, that was your original question. So, um, I did talk with James Barnett mm. today, and uh, you know just about kind of what transpired last night. And, uh, you know, he said that he was disappointed, but not surprised by what happened. And, you know, he said that he doesn't have, he wasn't just sitting on a plan B or a plan C and sort of in his words. And, um, so he said that he's talked to some of his, um, other people he's worked with on this and, and just basically said, we're going to just, let's everybody just take a week. Let's take a deep breath. Let's think about this, uh, sort of where we want to go from here. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's still committed to developing the property. So, um, obviously, um, you know, opponents, um, you know, they, they got the result they wanted, but, uh, it doesn't mean that there will be no development in that area. Yeah. I mean, this, this will continue to be a pretty high profile issue in the community. The exact timeline going <laughs> forward. I'm not sure. I think, I think probably at least a week if, uh, Mr. Barnett is, is true to his word on, uh, that, that whole taking a breather thing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's 
sort of where we stand right now. Well, Mike, I appreciate you distilling all that down and uh, for sifting through hours and hours of public comment. That is a, a thankless task, no matter what the topic is. So <laughs> great job sticking with that all. Yeah, well, that's that's why we do it, right? That's why we do it. <laughs> A big thanks to Mike for joining the podcast today, and you can read his latest story about the Whitefish City Council vote online at flatheadbeacon.com. And now, here are the biggest stories from the last seven days, as of 10 p.m. on Tuesday, February 8th. The Logan Health Whitefish Foundation in January announced the receipt of a $1 million gift, which is the largest the nonprofit has received since its founding more than 20 years ago. The gift came from the estate of longtime Whitefish residents Jake and Connie Heckathorn, both of whom passed away in recent years. According to Logan Health, the request was made that the gift be used for the foundation's endowment at the Whitefish Community Foundation, where a Cheers for Volunteers award will be used to annually recognize a community volunteer. A California woman charged with starving 17 horses in Flathead County last year pleaded not guilty last week to one felony count of aggravated animal cruelty. According to court documents, Flathead County Animal Control Wardens responded to an animal cruelty complaint involving multiple horses at a residence in the Columbia Falls area, where they found five inadequately fed horses. During the investigation, the woman, Cynthia Hamilton, told law enforcement that she could not afford to feed the animals and directed deputies to 12 more of her horses, half of whom were malnourished. Sheriff's Office detectives were granted a search warrant in September and seized all 17 horses and brought them to Flathead County Animal Control, where they remain in the care of the county. Hamilton is expected to go on trial in July, and if convicted, she could face a maximum sentence of two years in the Department of Corrections or a fine of $2,500. The executive director of the Imagine If Library Foundation, Charlotte Housel, resigned on February 2nd, the latest departure in library leadership due to ongoing tensions with the Board of Trustees. Her decision to leave the public library's foremost nonprofit fundraising partner was made public last month and formally announced a week ago. She cited burnout as a key factor leading to her resignation, both as a result of leading a prolonged capital campaign for the new Big Fork Library, as well as from the strained relationship with the Board of Trustees, with whom she has publicly clashed at recent board meetings. Under her leadership over the last five years, the Imagine If Foundation has routinely exceeded fundraising goals and established a permanent endowment. The foundation also launched the capital campaign for the new Big Fork Library building, which recently surpassed the halfway point of fundraising for the $1.6 million building and is working to transfer the property to the county. And finally, in the sports world, the Flathead Braves have been the top-ranked Class AA wrestling team in the state all season, and the Braves showed just how dangerous they might be at the state tournament at last week's divisionals. They had six wrestlers win individual titles across the 13 weight classes at divisionals, and they made up 10 of the 26 spots in the finals, more than any other team. When you add in the fact that none of the current wrestlers won an individual title last year when the Braves ran away with the team crown, it makes it even more likely that they're going to repeat as team champions. The Braves girls wrestling team is also poised to repeat as state champions, and I'll be bringing you all of that coverage this weekend. 
That's all I've got for you today. As always, you can stay up to date on all of the latest local news online at flatheadbeacon.com. This episode of the podcast was hosted, edited, mixed, and produced by me, Micah Drew. And again, a big thanks to my colleague, Mike Cordenbrock, for coming on the show. Music in this episode includes songs by local Flathead Valley artist, Mike Murray, who is kind enough to let us use them. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.